in the South. If it's done right, it's done on the porch. Welcome to the Philosophy and Theology Porch. Um, now, the title of this particular podcast, Why Are We Doing This? Why are we doing philosophy? Why does this matter in regards to the Christian faith, the historic, the classical Christian faith? Now, what I'm going to do here is I had to write an introduction uh, to a, a particular project that I was doing a couple years ago. And this introduction essentially answers this question, why are we doing this? So some of you don't need to be convinced of this at all. In fact, I would say if you're listening to this, you don't need to be convinced of this. But one, it'll help to remind you as to why you're doing it. Um, but then also, too, this is kind of one of those podcasts you want to sneak your, your spouse or your youth minister or your college pastor or even better, your senior pastor, your, the, the, whoever, you want to sneak them into the vehicle and take them on a ride somewhere and act like the, the radio is stuck and stuck and you just have to listen to this. So if you're listening to it right now and you're one of those uh, captive audience members, then, hey, man, you need to hear this. So this is what we're going to do. Here it goes. This is the explanation. This is why we're doing this. This is why it's needed. And, 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 and this is the explanation, the rationale, the purpose of this. Um, the discipline of philosophy and specifically the study of the discipline is paramount to discussing the historic Christian faith within the modern Western context. Now, that's the key word, this modern Western context. Properly speaking, the study of the discipline's history, influential thinkers, and intellectual topics is not necessary in promoting and or defending the classical foundational points of Christian faith, but this calls for an important and understated qualification. And that qualification simply has to do with one's actual ability to effectively engage the skeptical Western mindset. In other words, the power and influence by which many of these past thinkers, notably during the course of what we would call the Enlightenment, have influenced society is perhaps the most powerful obstacle to the foundational beliefs of classical Christian faith. Now, let me just go ahead and add, after, after reading that particular paragraph, this. Let me say that line again. These are perhaps the most powerful obstacles to the foundational beliefs of the classical Christian faith. It's not because you're not serving enough flipping pizza in your youth group or your guitar is slightly out, out of tune when you're playing worship songs. Do those things Can those things have an outcome? Do they affect things? Sure, possibly, whatever. But they are not the most powerful obstacles to the foundational beliefs of the classical Christian faith. It's not because you need another pizza party. So listen, it was the ancient sophists that have argued for the relative nature of truth. That is, that there are no absolutes. And if this is true, then what are you going to do? Then what are the absolute and objective claims of Christ concerning himself now, it was Heraclitus that originated the ideology that reality is in a state of constant flux. And if this is true, then how is the Christian faith relevant across centuries concerning all men at all times at all places? If it was Descartes that unintentionally released a radical skepticism and in that individuals may not know an external reality outside of themselves. And if this is true think the matrix, then what of the external reality of an alleged objective and created order independent of man, created by God? 
You see where these ideas start to have consequences. It was David Hume that argued, one is simply not justified in any true knowledge of the relation between a cause and effect. And if this is true, then what of the claim by the Apostle Paul that man may know God, and even that without excuse by observing his effects? Cause and effect. It was also Hume that argued that were miracles to even be philosophically possible, one has no true justification in believing the event to have actually even taken place. And if this is true, then what of the supposed miracle upon which all of Christian faith stands or falls? That is, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Jean-Paul Sartre that made the argument that man has no essence, no nature, no essence prior to his existence. That man has no nature save that which he creates for himself. Now, this should sound familiar. Now, if that's true, then what of the Christian claim? That man is obliged by his very nature that he didn't create himself to pursue the truth of God. Clearly, this is but a mere scratching of the surface of the history and impact of philosophy on mankind's struggle to know truth, assuming it can be known. That should sound familiar. But it also reveals that the most deadly, persuasive, and competing claims, let me say that again, but it also reveals that the most deadly, persuasive, and competing claims against the Christian faith are not new to modern Western civilization, but they are merely the logical consequence of these few mentioned thinkers over time as they have, let's say, trickled down from the ivory tower of the university to permeate the culture, infiltrating the minds of common men and women and folks sitting out in your audience. In light of the above, it ought now be rather obvious the most appropriate way in which to engage such ideologies is simply first to understand them, to wrestle them, and critique them at their very source. This is what the study and the discipline of philosophical study aims to do as its very telos, its very purpose. Again, assuming purpose exists, because again, that should sound familiar. Now, according to the latest research, I think this is Jay Warner Wallace that brings this up, at least 75% and up to 85% of young adults raised within the Christian faith that went to all the pizza parties abandon that faith upon entering the university or college after encountering, listen, basic objections from professors and fellow pupils. And as a result of embracing contradictory ideologies in its very place, in its place, the Christian faith's place, many of those being a variation of the above, there is no topic that has been left untouched by such a radical disappearing of the intellectual tradition provided by the pillars of classical Western thought. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that the current culture in which we find ourselves is rapidly hemorrhaging and or losing the worldview espoused by the Christian faith as these future doctors, future journalists, future lawyers, future psychologists, future scientists, and other cultural leaders are presented with a false dichotomy that they can either embrace intellect and reason or they can embrace Christianity.
my question to you listening right now would be, have you helped to create that false dichotomy that you can be intellectual and reasonable or you can be a Christian or you can, quote unquote, take God at his word? That's a false dichotomy. God is the God of truth. God is the God of intellect. God is the God of reason. So if only nothing but an introduction to the rich and robust intellectual heritage of Christianity is given to young minds, that would perhaps not only stem the tide of a growing anti-theistic culture, but provide reason to the young Christian intellect to consider the intellectual integrity and truthfulness, because that's what it's about at the end of the day, that Christianity is true, the truthfulness of the Christian worldview then may God grant that that be done. Now, consequently, having engaged such such ideology through disciplined study, one is therefore able now to construct arguments to provide reasons to develop intellectual credibility and promote the classical Christian faith in such a way that anticipates and critiques and avoids the pitfalls of these false ideologies and false worldviews. This then is the aim of what we're doing. And it was for this reason that we should study philosophy. To promote the Savior, Jesus Christ, to a dying world via the avenue of the mind. Having said as much, one begins to realize the undergirding influence of the discipline. Moreover, one is now in a position to ascertain the inescapability of the discipline as it pertains to this project and all topics. Of course, even still, one may ask how this is so in regard to such a project as this, what we're talking about right now, that is to say. I'll say it this way. Listen, everything else is going to follow on this one sentence here. Listen, all must think logically and philosophically. Let me say that again. All, everyone must think logically and philosophically. Within the current culture, the colloquial understanding of those terms most frequently carries connotations that pertain to, you know, making sense and or intelligent decisions. Of course, if the foundational principles of the philosophy of Aristotle are true, that were adopted and strengthened by Aquinas, then there is no escape. Let me say again, listen, there is no escape from thinking logically or philosophically. That is to say, Whether one supposedly makes sense or whether one seems to compose intelligent decisions is actually irrelevant to those terms. Historically, logic is simply the tool and the process by which rational creatures come to make decisions based upon known or supposedly known information. Regardless if the conclusion is correct or incorrect, that is, I individuals during decisions construct syllogisms geared towards what he or she believes to be true and what he or she believes to be good. All right, so let me translate all that. In other words, all individuals, everybody is going to use logic and philosophy. Even if you're in the car right now, or you're doing your workout, or wherever you are, and you think, well, I'm not worried about logic and philosophy, that's ridiculous. You're using it. Let me say it again. In other words, all individuals, everyone, will use logic and philosophy to arrive at your decision. So, consequently, the question that would best represent the truth of the situation would be this. Are individuals using logic and philosophy appropriately? That is, are individuals good thinkers? Are individuals not good thinkers? 
And if this question is relevant to the human condition, which it surely seems to be, because remember, you are doing it. You are using these tools. The question is just whether using them good or in a bad sense. Then it is also relevant to those topics that humans discuss. It's relevant to what we talk about. And the most notable, most important topic addressed by humanity is nothing less than that topic of what? God himself. Now one ought to ask if most individuals are using philosophy and logic in a proper way while engaging this most important of topics. Because again, you're going to. You're already doing it. Because everyone, as a general rule, is engaging this topic. So now the question really is what? Are individuals applying sound logic, sound philosophy, as they talk of truth? as they talk of religious claims, as they talk of God, as they talk of morality, as they talk about the possibility of miracles. Let no one be fooled into thinking that these topics are not addressed. Engaged even on a daily basis from the least educated to the most educated among any person in any civilization, including ours. It ought go without saying that even the least educated will realize that discussions involving truth, morality, God, supernatural intervention versus the laws of nature. Anyone would probably guess what? That those might draw heartily from the well of philosophy and logic because those just sound like what? Philosophical topics, logical topics. But again, you're talking about them. Everyone's talking about them. You can't watch the news without those topics being mentioned. These topics, those topics, seem to be understood and questioned even as claiming very strong ties with these two ancient disciplines that we need to be studying. Now, but what of those later mentioned topics, those latter mentioned topics, those topics that are just as equal or just as easily equal in importance that run on the heels of those first topics? That is, what do I, what do I mean by that? That is, the, those topics of the reliability of the Holy Scripture. In other words, the reliability of the, of the, of the Christian text, of the Bible. How do you know that that's reliable? How do you know that what you have right now, the copy, the text that you have now, is what the apostles had? Of course, how do you know about the resurrection of Christ? But by those texts. And the, how do you know about the radical claims that Jesus is said to have spoken about? Except by those texts. But surely the discussion does not stop simply because individuals do not have training and sound reasoning. Again, what, what have we said? They are reasoning. You are reasoning. You are thinking. They are thinking philosophical thoughts with or without some earned academic degree in the subjects. These two points are simply and absolutely unavoidable. That is to say, having no training in the disciplines of philosophy or logic does not and will not terminate the human race from discussing and engaging these topics that we just mentioned. How do we know we have the scriptures? How do we know that God exists? How do we know what's right and wrong? They won't terminate the human race from discussing and engaging these topics that are equal, that are as equally important as the more foundational topics that undergird them. It is clearly a matter of whether these individuals, the vast majority of the human race, is thinking and reasoning properly, good logic and philosophy, or thinking and reasoning about them improperly, bad logic and bad philosophy. Generally speaking, everyone talks of God. Everyone, in some way, talks of whether a man, 
namely Jesus Christ, could actually rise from the dead. Everyone talks of whether the Bible is nonsense or the Bible is God-given. Philosophy and logic are not trapped within the disciplines that give them their proper name. No, nothing could be more false. Philosophy and logic, the principles of sound thinking, the principles upon which every rational creature must operate, are already being employed in the discussion of any and every topic that has ever been discussed, either soundly or unsoundly. How much more so should we employ them using any training that we have regarding the disciplines in an effort to make sure that these tools of logic and philosophy are applied in an appropriate manner to the most important topics that have yet to exist? It is true that one may reason and discover, again, if one is employing sound philosophy and logic, to the absolute truths of God, objective morality, design, purpose, etc., and it is then said that only revelation can take one to the further truth of the resurrection, the reliability of the Christian text, and so on. This is true as well. But there's an important caveat that must be addressed at this point. The culmination, the dis destination for which this argument is heading. Philosophy and logic, strictly speaking, may not prove the latter in the sense of demonstration, for instance, the resurrection and so on. But philosophy and logic, strictly speaking, may not uh, prove them again, but the sound principles of philosophy and logic must be employed when discussing those, those topics. As, why? Because there's rabid nonsense, unsound thinking, and very poor philosophy that has, whether one admits it as much as not, acted as one of the most insipid and corrosive acids that have ever come upon any subjects holding as much importance which is exactly the motivation for these types of projects. All of the above serves as the grounding for constructing such a project. This special project is simply an attempt, and for our purposes here, we can say this podcast, or whatever your venture is going to be in as a result of this, of listening to this, is it simply an, an attempt to employ all principles that one may study in the vast field of philosophy, whether they pertain to logic, worldviews, metaphysical ideologies, whatever, and as a result, engage each respective topic from a logical, rational, and appropriate manner. And when I say topic here, of course, I'm talking about the topics of, of, of the existence of God, the reliability of the Christian scriptures, whether or not Jesus rose, those sorts of things. This, as mentioned, is simply due to the fact that, again, young college intellects are ill-equipped. Your students, your parishioners, People in your congregation are ill-equipped to prepare for the challenges, for the devastating challenges that await them on a hostile college campus or at their workplace or wherever in regard to each of these foundational topics. Young college intellects need these types of resources that expose and counter false beliefs that threaten the Christian worldview. Again, this project, this podcast, your project, whatever, is an honest attempt to do just that by providing something to existing existing ministries, college ministries, youth ministries, whatever, that will expose, expose and counter false belief systems, false beliefs that threaten the Christian worldview through these college ministries, through their youth ministries, through your ministry. The project is, this project, your project, is an honest attempt to do just that by providing something to existing college ministries will expose them inoculate them against ideas that students have most likely never encountered 
but will once they hit a hostile environment. Purposefully, each each of each of these things, each of these projects, is supposed to shake. Is supposed to wake up to announce <laughs> that this needs to be done. So. Again, the project is merely another humble attempt to collect such men and women under one roof for the greater cause of defending and promoting Christ to the generations. So, with that said, get off the porch. See you next time.